Acts chapter 3, once you're there, I want you to leave a bookmark there in Acts chapter 3, and then I have two other texts of scripture that I want you to find, just because I want to have fun with you. Isaiah chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. For those of you who are using an electronic Bible, you might be in an advantage at finding three texts, but you're going to miss an object lesson. Isaiah chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. What I want you to do is just grasp everything between Isaiah chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1 in your Bible and see how much of your Bible that is. What you're holding, if you've got Isaiah 1 on one side and Matthew 1 on the other side, you are holding five books written by four men called major prophets and another 12 books each with their own author called minor prophets and in fact what you're holding there accounts for about 25 percent of the 66 books of the bible certainly though they're preached less than 25 percent of the time if you take a good look and what you're holding there, by the number of books, the prophets make up about 25% of your Bible. By the number of words, the major and minor prophets still make up about 20% of the biblical text. So about one-fifth of what the Bible has to say, it has to say in the Old Testament prophets. Yet, how often do we actually dig in and hear messages and learn from the prophets. Occasionally we do from some well-known prophecies like Isaiah 53 or we've gone through stories like Daniel's life or sometimes the, you know, we'll go to Ezekiel's valley of dry bones, but there is a lot of fertile ground there between those texts that we seldom visit. And perhaps one of the reasons why we seldom visit the prophets is there is a difficulty to sort of bridge the cultural gap between their society and our modern times. And yet, in this series that we're going to do, in which we'll begin with the minor prophets, but in this series, we'll see that each of the prophets was called to declare God's truth to their society, and their society was much more similar to ours than we would care to admit. Just a few of the societal issues that get dealt with in the minor prophets would include political intrigue, uncertainty in leadership, concerns about national safety, unrestrained materialism and greed, social injustice, rampant selfishness, and moral indifference. And if you think any of that sounds like our society today, it's because it does sound like our society today. The truth of the prophets' messages to their societies reverberates to our modern life. And not only will we learn in the prophets that the, the Lord declares his judgment against sin, not just the sins of you know, those people out there, but he also declares his wrath against the sins of his own people, we find assurance in God's sovereignty and in Jesus as Messiah. And I'll also 
add this. The nature of prophetic writing is sometimes stunning and candid. When you read the historical books, for example, you sometimes have to make assumptions about what God's thinking or what God's feeling or what God intends. But in the prophets, it is like getting hit upside the head with a baseball bat. In the prophets, we find the, the heart of God and the word of God and the commands of God coming in ways that are often not at all subtle. The most important message of any of the prophets is the message of the Messiah who alone can bring salvation to his people. So go to Acts chapter 3 where you have that bookmarked. Just a word about the context because we're going to start reading in the middle of the chapter. But as Acts chapter 3 opens, Peter and John have entered the temple and on their way in they heal a lame man who sat at a temple gates begging right and so in verse 6 for example he has begged them for money and and peter says silver and gold have i none but such as i have give i thee in the name of jesus christ of nazareth rise up and walk and he does rise up and walk and all of the people in the crowded temple are amazed at what they see peter's reaction to their amazement was to ask essentially Why are y'all shocked at this? Why are you acting like this has something to do with me and with John and with our power? This is a manifest display of the power of Messiah Jesus who, not long ago, you flatly rejected and gladly handed over to be murdered. And as he continues, listen to what he has to say about the prophets. We'll pick up at verse, say verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he, that is Jesus, has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning every one of you from your iniquities. Now, to make sense of what Peter is saying to this crowd in the temple, we need to recognize that part of what he's making here is sort of a a multi-layered argument he begins talking about Moses the prophet he ends with 
Jesus as the promised prophet, and he calls to his side all of the prophets in between. So just think through those three steps for a moment. First off, if you asked any Jewish person at any point in history who is the greatest prophet, you would get an almost uniform response. The greatest prophet was Moses. I mean, God called Moses to speak to his people and to Pharaoh. God called Moses to deliver his people from the slavery of Egypt. God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush and made him the the mouthpiece, the spokesman of God himself. God empowered Moses to work miracles as a verifiable sign that he was divinely called. The first portion of the word of God was brought by Moses as he authored the first five books of the Bible. But, was Moses the final prophet? No. In fact, one of the great promises that the Jewish people hoped to see fulfilled was God's promise to send another prophet like Moses. Before Moses died, this is the promise that God gave to him and to the people through him. I'm going to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, and then verses 18 and 19. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren. I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all the things that I command him, And it shall be, whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So truly, Moses is this great prophet for God, but there is another prophet coming. Peter reminds them, this prophet like Moses, and that coming prophet like Moses is going to have the authority to address the nations as well as God's people. He's going to be a mouthpiece speaking directly for God. He speaks when he speaks. It is thus saith the Lord. He's going to come in the power and authority to save God's people from the slavery of sin. And he's going to have power to work miracles as a divine and verifiable sign of his coming. And so does that sound like anybody you know? Right? This is Peter's argument. Moses is a great prophet, but there is a greater prophet that was promised, a prophet like Moses that God had said he would send. And then he says, this is Jesus. In fact, Peter quotes the, the exact verses I quoted there in Deuteronomy. Look at verses 22 and 23. For Moses truly said to your fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So Peter's argument here is that the power to heal that lame man is not found in himself. It was not found in the apostle John who was with him. It is the miracle working power and authority of Messiah Jesus, proving that Jesus is that prophet like Moses whom God promised. So, what's this have to do with trying to introduce the minor prophets? Glad you asked. As Peter lays out this argument, right, with these sort of two points on a timeline, 
saying, you, you know Moses the prophet, and you have Jesus who is the prophet like Moses. He is also very clear in the process that with those two great prophets, God was not silent in between. He has spoken through his peop- to his people through other prophets between Moses and Jesus. Note how many times he says this. Look at verse 18. You'll see, by the mouth of all his prophets. In verse 21, by the mouth of all his holy prophets. In verse 24, he says, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. And so those prophets, as Peter describes them, bridged this gap of revelation between what God spoke to Moses and the fulfillment of that revelation and what God has done through Messiah Jesus. And Lord willing, during the course of this series, however long it takes, you're going to get to know those men, their problems, the challenges they encountered, the calling of God on their lives, and the word that the Lord delivered through them and that they delivered faithfully. So, what I want to do in this introduction is talk for a moment about what they all had in common, then what makes each of them unique, and then come back to Peter's statement here in Acts chapter 3. What all the prophets have in common is that they have a divine calling on their lives to speak to humanity on the behalf of their creator. In the Old Testament, there are actually three different terms that get used to describe the prophets pretty frequently. The most common is the Hebrew word nabi, and it means to be a spokesman, or specifically uh, an individual who speaks on behalf of someone else. And so the nature of the prophetic office is presenting a message, not their own message, but speaking as a spokesman for God. Two other Hebrew words used to designate a prophet, both of them are usually translated in our Bible as seer. They have slightly different meanings though. There is the Hebrew word ra'ah, which is the common word for sight, but it carries the idea of you know, looking into something, inspecting it, considering it. And the other word is koza, which is a little less common, and it carries the idea of having not just sight, but perception and understanding. Together, they suggest that a prophet is not only an individual who has a message from God, But it's also a man who has looked into that message and has some perception, some discernment regarding the meaning of the message. And this is, just as a side note, this is particularly interesting to me because I often read the prophets in the Old Testament and find myself asking, did he know what he just wrote? Like when Isaiah writes Isaiah 53 and describes the suffering servant of God, could Isaiah have possibly understood all the things that he said? And the reality is, he probably understood even more than we think. In essence, a prophet 
is a spokesman for God who is required to say nothing more or nothing less than what the Lord gave him to say. Prophets did not assume editorial control over their message. They had no authority to make up the message or to make it more harsh or to make it more lenient or to make it more palatable just to speak what it is that God says. And when that message angered the audience, they could say, look, I'm just a messenger. Now certainly we'll see in a moment that each one of these men had distinct personalities and they're called during unique circumstances, but they were all inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to deliver a message that was God's message, not their own message. As Peter famously writes in his second letter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he wrote that prophecy never came by will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So they received the calling of God on their lives. They spoke on his behalf, delivered his message faithfully. That is what they had in common. What makes each prophet unique is virtually everything else. While each one of the prophets received a message directly from God, those messages did not come in the same way, nor were they called to express those messages in the same way, or at the same time, or to the same people. The writer of Hebrews notes this in his letter when Hebrews begins its letter by saying, God, who, I I like the way the King James Version says it, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, or the New King James says, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. There's two statements of uniqueness there. There are different times and different ways. The way we note those different times is by we start trying to put the prophets into categories of when they lived, right? The, the, a, a major event of the Old Testament was the, the captivity of God's people when Assyria came and took away Israel and later Babylon came and took away Judah. And so some prophets lived before Assyria and Babylon came. Those were called pre-exilic prophets. They lived before the exile. Some prophets lived in Babylon, far away, in exile, and they are called exilic prophets. And then a few ministered to the people after they returned from captivity, and they are called post-exilic prophets. Sort of complicate that. It could be that you could place some prophets into more than one category. So, for example, the major prophet Jeremiah had a message before the exile, that the exile was coming, but he continued to be a prophet, speaking God's message even during that Babylonian exile. So each prophet came at a different point in history. Other unique aspects can be seen in their backgrounds. Joel, Joel was probably a priest. Habakkuk wasn't a priest, but he was a Levite. Micah was just a simple man in a common village. Amos declared himself to be, look, I'm a, I'm a farmer, I'm a, I'm a shepherd. 
Isaiah appears to be well acquainted with the royal court. Zephaniah, we know, is the great-grandson of the king of Judah. The differences can also be seen in the message that God gave them to deliver to his people and the way that they were called to deliver that message. Isaiah, for part of his ministry, was expected to walk around naked, or at least mostly naked, for three years as a symbol of the humiliation of the coming exile. Ezekiel, who lived during that exile in captivity, Ezekiel was required at one point to build a little scale model of the city of Jerusalem and lay on his side playing with it while the people came by and made fun of him as he laid siege to this little model city of Jerusalem and delivered God's word against it. Jonah, you know, got swallowed by a great fish and then goes on to preach to Nineveh while almost certainly smelling like fish vomit. I mean, how could he not? Hosea had to marry a prostitute, have his heart broken by a wife who was prone to being constantly unfaithful and abandoning her family. Even those prophets who did live at the same time, in the same place, had unique lives. As for example, um, in, in Babylonian captivity, Daniel was a prophet during that captivity, but he was a trusted advisor in the royal court high in Babylonian government, while at the same time Ezekiel was a prophet of God who was a slave living in a mud hut down by the river. As we work through the message of each of these prophets, we'll need to see that they had individual characters, where, where they lived, who they're writing to, how and why the Lord used them to speak his message. We'll see how they addressed issues with their culture, how they proclaim God's judgment on the unfaithfulness of his own people as well as the, the wickedness of the surrounding nations. But most importantly, we'll want to see what they had to say about the Lord Jesus himself. Think of the prophets this way. If the prophets, as Peter described, bridge that gap between God speaking to Moses and the fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus, then we would expect as they live in between those two great times that they're going to speak to both of those things at once. They're going to have things to say about both directions. And so first off, the prophets speak God's word as they look back at the word that was delivered through Moses, especially Especially in Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30, Moses declared God's promised blessings for obedience and also the, the curses and judgment for disobedience. And the prophets continually call back to those chapters telling their contemporaries, look, we're facing the wrath of God if we continue to disobey him, but we also have a reason to expect God's promised blessing is just as sure if we live and love him, if we, we follow his word. But at the same time, the prophets looked forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus who is the perfect 
obedient servant of God who is the, the ultimate prophet, who is the, the Messiah who brings salvation and blessing for his people. Whether they're well-known major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, or the unnecessarily obscure minor prophets like Nahum or Haggai or Amos, the vital message of the prophets points us to the Lord Jesus who for them was coming and for us is coming again. In fact, here in Acts chapter 3, just make a note of what Peter says that the prophets foretold. And by the way, again, don't forget, this is a general statement of all of the prophets. Again, in verse 18, it's all his prophets. In verse 21, all his holy prophets. In verse 24, all the prophets from Samuel going forward, as many as have spoken. There are big and small books, so we call them major and minor, but there is no major message and minor message. All of God's word is inspired inerrant and useful for us, even those parts that we unfortunately neglect. And so Peter tells us what we should expect to find are three specific areas of truth about Jesus as we study the prophets. Of course, there's, there's more to learn as well, but he points us to three specific areas of truth the prophets tell us about Jesus. First off, they foretold the suffering of the Messiah. Verse 18, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ, that the Messiah would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Jesus has fulfilled. The Jewish nation did not want a suffering Messiah, but that is exactly who the prophets promised. When God called them as spokesman his message through the prophets was that the messiah king would come and save his people but he would secure that salvation through suffering and pain we know this from the major prophets right we see it very clearly in isaiah especially chapter 53 surely he has borne our griefs he's carried our sorrows we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. This picture is a, a suffering Messiah who would come to save us. Only a suffering, sin-bearing Savior can secure salvation for the people of God. Jesus came to be that Savior, enduring the the painful death of the cross to pay the sin debt for those he loves. And while the world as a whole and the Jews as a whole did not love him in return, there is coming a day when God's people will see this suffering Messiah as their only hope for salvation. The minor prophets picture that as well. Zechariah declares God's word like this in Zechariah 12 verse 10. They will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. Through the crucifixion, Jesus fulfilled the prophetic promise of a suffering Messiah 
lovingly bearing the grief and sin of his people. Second, Peter said that they promise a day of the restoration of all things. Look at verse 21. Whom, and he's speaking of Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. In verse 21, Jesus, uh, Peter is addressing the ascension of Jesus into heaven as well as the expectation of the second coming of Jesus. So in regard to the ascension, he said of Jesus, whom heaven must receive, right? This, this answers the question that would have been on the minds of the people in front of him in the temple that day who'd seen the power of Jesus heal the lame man. As they hear Peter preach, their question is going to be, well, if Jesus is the Messiah King, if he really is risen from the dead, why isn't he here? <laughs> why can't we see him? Right? They were keenly aware of the prophetic promises that they wanted to see fulfilled by the coming Messiah. By, by suffering, Jesus fulfilled the promises that they didn't care about. But by his ascension, it appeared as if Jesus ignored the promises that they did care about. So what about the victorious king? What about the promise to set all things right? So Peter's answer is, Jesus' ascension into heaven is temporary. There is a time which the Lord has assigned in his providence for the restoration of all things. And Jesus will remain in heaven until that time. But when that time comes, he's going to be the one who returns and restores all things. He sets everything right. Peter says this is exactly what the prophets foretold, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. And so in the major prophets, this is seen very clearly in Daniel where the, the Messiah is pictured as coming from heaven and and smashing the kingdoms of the earth into dust and setting up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So we should expect to hear about the second coming of Jesus and the minor prophets. They have something to say about him? Well, just, just a little bit. Hosea pictures him as the returning, redeeming king. Joel speaks of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Amos promises a restoration to fruitfulness. Obadiah speaks of the great deliverer coming from Zion. Micah writes about a shepherd king whose flock will ex extend to the ends of the earth. Habakkuk says the Lord's Redeemer will come in glory and execute wrath and bring salvation. And in Zephaniah, he returns as the divine king over Israel. And in Haggai, he is the desire of all nations. Yes, they have a little bit to say about the second coming. The minor prophets promise a day when the Messiah King will return and set everything right. The day of the restoration of all things. Peter says, we'll find that in the prophets. Third, in between that suffering of Jesus and the coming return of Jesus, Peter says the prophets have a lot to say about the present. 
Look at verse 24. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. Now, it might seem odd for me to try to say that Peter is talking about the present to us when he was clearly saying this 2,000 years ago. But he's talking about the present, these days, in the sense of that space of time between the suffering, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus and the coming return of Jesus that is still future to us. And so we are in those days. This is a a present time for us. You'll see what this is is what he means as he goes on to say in verse 25, it's a, a time for the gospel to be spread throughout the world so the promise to Abraham would be fulfilled that that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Jesus. And then he tells the crowd in the temple that Jesus has come first to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The present is the day when the gospel message of salvation through Jesus is to be declared throughout the world. And Peter says the prophets tell us about that. Those who believe are going to be restored to a relationship with God and blessed through the righteousness of Jesus. The prophets were not silent about this. In fact, Peter says in verse 25 to the crowd, you are the sons of the prophets. Not that they literally descended, they could trace their family tree back to the prophets, but what he's saying is you are the the heirs of the prophets. What they proclaimed about salvation through faith in Jesus, that is yours. It is a truth that is yours to possess. You are the heirs of the prophets. And the major prophets, Jeremiah promised this day a new covenant in which the Lord would write his words into the hearts of his people, forgiving them of their iniquities and remembering their sins no more. In the minor prophets, we see it also. God speaks through Hosea to say, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Through Habakkuk, he makes through Habakkuk what is maybe one of the the singular most influential statements on the New Testament writers in all of Scripture. They apply it to salvation through faith in Jesus when Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says simply, the just shall live by faith. That's us in the present day. We live by faith in Messiah King Jesus. So the minor prophets are a worthwhile study. They have to be grasped by any person who wants to have a well-rounded understanding of Scripture. Do not let the word minor mislead you. Don't view this like, you know, Daniel and Isaiah are the heavy hitters in the major league of prophecy and the rest of these guys are toiling away in double A hoping to get called up to the big league someday. They are not minors in the sense of they are invaluable or they are lesser. They're just, generally the books are smaller. But Micah tells us where Jesus will be born Hosea tells us the infant Jesus will will spend time in Egypt. Malachi points to the the coming ministry of John the Baptist. Zechariah foretells Christ's 
triumphant entry into Jerusalem. Jesus used Jonah to predict his own resurrection. When Peter, when Peter had the opportunity to preach the gospel at the day of Pentecost, he picked Joel as his text. There is plenty for us to learn in the minor prophets, and I look forward to getting them started with you.